Blessings, blessings. We are in month one, day 18, and it is the seventh day of our weekly cycle. It's Shabbat, and tomorrow at dawn is the Feast of First Fruits, and we begin our Omer count, day one of the Omer, as we count to Shavuot. So this is a special time of year. This is the Sabbath of Unleavened Bread Week. So we're going to finish off where we started last week, and the title of this message is The Passover Being Restored Back to the Image of Elohim. I want to recap a few things for some of you that may have missed last week. We were talking about the three laws of Scripture, if you may remember. You can turn in your Scriptures right now to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 4, because we're going to be revisiting Cain. This has been, a, I think, most probably one of the hardest Passover weeks in the Nolan household, specifically targeted at moi. Because I have been really feeling a lot of leaven in my life, I think even leading up to this. Um, and this teaching that I prepared and have been really kind of immersed in, and it's even come down, you know, of course, to my, my firstborn son. And I've had, had a couple of run-ins with him this week. And it, the, the, the comment that I've made to him is, you know, are we acting like Cain or are we acting like Abel? And then it ultimately came back on me and something that my son ended up doing was something that I remember that I did to my father when I was his age. So the old apple doesn't fall far from the tree in the Nolan household, so we ended up having some tears and some repentance and just hard. And then my wife, you know, speaking to me again. Am I acting more like Abel or acting like Cain? It's this whole leavening. So many of you pray for me, but somebody who's a powerful prayer warrior has not been praying for me this week, and I can feel it. So please pray for me, because when you do messages like this, you get hammered on the very topic that you're teaching because I believe that Yahweh in these days and these times will not allow a voice to speak unless it's a voice of integrity and you if you're going to preach it you've got to live it or at least be trialed through what you're teaching so it's been I've got to tell you it's been really hard for me this week because I've seen um, a lot in myself that has come up due to this teaching being restored back to the image of the invisible Elohim. So we did touch on the three laws of Scripture, the law of first mention, and we looked at, of course, the first mention in Scripture of Dharm, blood, brings us to Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. We'll be revisiting that, going a little deeper. We looked at the second law. The second law was the law of development, progress in divine revelation. You don't get it all at once, but the revelation progresses from the Torah to the writings through to the prophets, and then we get the revelation in its finality as we come into the work of Yahusha in the Brit Hadashah. Here a little, there a little. That is, of course, 
divine law of development. And the third law that we looked at last week was the law of redemption, which is, of course, without the shedding of blood, there is... There is no remission. No matter what you may think, how good you are, there is no remission without the shedding of blood. So let's begin as we look now into part two of this teaching. Let's go back to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 4. And of course, we have the account of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel in Bereshit chapter 4. Let me read it to you. Verse 10, and Yahweh said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And we see right here, this is the first mention in scripture of dam, blood. And we can see that this is blood, the central element of the Passover, which is why I'm teaching it at this time of year. And it's a different direction than I've normally gone, but it was a direction that apparently I needed to go in so that I can be further refined. And I hope through my refining process that you also will partake of that refinement because we are all the household of faith. And what you go through, I go through. And what I go through, you go through. If we're truly all being led by the one Ruach to the one true living Elohim. There will be unity and community in our sufferings. And you'll start to see that the more that the body grows in one, that there will be a commonality in our triumphs and our tragedies. You see it throughout the scripture, don't you? When the body of Mashiach is together, they triumph together in their successes, but then they are in tragedy together. So goes the man, so goes the household, right? We are the household of faith. There's four things that we looked at about this blood, because this is powerful blood. Number one, the blood has a voice. It speaks. It speaks. Number two, the blood has a loud voice. It cries as it speaks. It doesn't murmur. It cries as it speaks. Number three, the blood has a voice. And this is the most important part. The blood has a voice that Yahweh hears. He hears that blood. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It crieth, it crieth out. And then we look, and this ties into the Passover, the fourth element of the blood. The blood cries out from the place of the curse. Remember after the sin, the fall of Adam, the Hava, Adam and Eve, the ground became cursed and it sprouted thistles and thorns. The blood cries out from the place of thorns. This, of course, have, has so much prophetic implication because ultimately the blood of redemption cries out from the place of thorns. So again, there is so much here, and I know I get jazzed up about it, but it really, really is a work in progress of our redemption. 
Look at this account in Bereshit in Genesis chapter 4. And let's look at Passover, where one's sins are passed over. Because you came into the house covered by the blood that crieth better things than Abel. But the question I have to ask, why was Cain's life even spared by Yahuwah? So always go back to the beginning. Why was Cain covered? He had a keporah, a covering in the Hebrew, keporah. Yahuwah made keporah a Passover, a covering of Cain. Because the Bible is very clear. It teaches that the penalty for premeditated murder is death. So why did Yahuwah spare Cain's life? Why did he pass over him? We've got shadows of the Passover right here in the first mention of blood. Atonement and exile. Everything that is the Passover is emphasized here with Cain. We have covering, blood, atonement, and exile. That's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. Passover, atonement, and exile. Cain's life is spared, and instead he is cursed to be a vagabond. A vagabond for the rest of his life. He is hunted down. He is hunted down by others. They seek his life. Yet Yahuwah protects him. Yahuwah protects him. Cain is used in the scripture as an object lesson to warn us. He's an object lesson to warn us. Cain is the image of the unsaved individual. He is the image of the unsaved individual. He is the unsaved condition of man. First Yochanan, First John 3.11, it is written, This is the message you heard from Bereshit. So when you're understanding the Hebrew scriptures, this is pointing you back to Genesis chapter 4. Because the first book in the Bible isn't called Genesis, it's called Bereshit, the book of beginnings. This is the message you heard in Genesis would be a correct translation. We should love one another, not like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, Cain, he made the wrong sacrifice. We all know that. He didn't follow the correct order. He wanted to do it his way as it suited him. Because in his heart, that's what he just wanted to do. But the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, saith Yahuwah. Cain and Abel can really be a parable about the differences at this time of year between Easter and Passover, as well as the unregenerate and the regenerate man. It's very sobering when you look around and people are doing what is right in their own hearts, bringing an offering that they desire, but it's in the wrong order. It's in the wrong order. You see, the value of the lamb 
of the importance of the sacrifice of the first lamb. The best lamb has been the key to harmony with Yahuwah and a true Passover ever since time immemorial. The lamb was the antidote to the poisonous, wicked thoughts of Cain, revealed in his very actions when he sought to gain a relationship with Yahuwah through his own labors. He thought his works would gain a relationship with Yahuwah, but man's works are cursed. I don't care what you think you are, or how good you think you are, or how religious you think you are. I don't care if you pray to Yahuwah, and I don't care if you hear his voice. If you haven't come to atonement through the first lamb, then your works are cursed. This is extremely sobering at this time of year. Because there are many wolves in sheep's clothing and there's many goats dressed up as sheep amongst us. And I don't understand it. Because when the truth is shown to us, we have to repent, surely. Or do we count the cost and say, no, we'll follow our own hearts and the dictates of man. Because what will happen... What will happen when people awake and realize that their past Easter offerings were actually rejected? What will happen when people awake and they realize that their Sunday keeping was actually rejected? Because an offering made in the wrong order will cause the works of Cain to be manifest in your life. And what will happen when those people look upon the ables, the righteous, the people that are doing what Yahweh wants in the order that he desires it, not listening to their own evil hearts? What will those people think? Will they grow resentful of the ables? Will they grow resentful of us that have turned and repented of the traditions of man? Will they grow angry toward us? What when they see their brother's offering of Passover was actually accepted? What when they see that their brother's offering of Sabbath-keeping piety was actually accepted? Will seeing their brother's offering accepted fill them with rage? Will it fill them with a spirit of murder? Will it? Or will they repent? Will they repent? Well, the Bible tells us that they'll choose rage. They won't repent. They won't repent. The Bible says that if you go that far down the road and you set your hand to the plow of Cain, which is a farm implement used to kill your brother, you've gone so far you won't repent. For I came to set man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, saith Yahuwah. Then they shall deliver you up unto tribulation and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. 
These are the times that we're living in. When you will be delivered up for your piety. Because you are going against the religious customs, the political customs, and the military might by saying, I am going to do things in the right order, even though that seems like disorderly conduct to the world. What a strange and weird people you are. Right? To the world... Because the spirit of rebellion is the spirit of witchcraft. And the spirit of witchcraft is the spirit of murder. And the spirit of murder is the spirit of the father of lies, which is the devil himself, Satan, the adversary, the accuser of the brethren. And the unsaved individual, the unsaved condition is a permanent state of restlessness. You become a vagabond. You're just a wandering soul. You've got that wandering, vagabond ruach. That unsettling feeling haunts the individual every single waking moment. That restless wanderer that goes from assembly to assembly, from church to church. You may even be a believer, like I said, and still feel that same way. Because we know that Cain was a believer. Cain was a believer. He talked with Yahuwah. He believed in Yahuwah for sure and for certain. Look at verse 6. Then Yahuwah said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will not you be accepted? Do what is right, man. Do what is right. You know what's right. Do it. Or do you live for the world? Do you live for the pleasures of the flesh? Like Herod. But if you do not do what is right, sin, it is crouching at the very door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Like I said, this Passover season has been a a trial for me because I have seen sin crouching at my very door with my behaviors towards my family, with my behaviors and my actions, and I realize this is learned developmental behaviors that I have got to overcome. And it crouches at my very door. Crouches at my very door. It's been brought up by some of you that I've hurt unintendedly, but still the same. And it's these behaviors. And I'm like, Father, I, I, I'm, I'm surely I'm doing what is right in your eyes. I'm an able, but my actions, what's crouching at the very door is Cain trying to entice me back into those old ways. None of us are none of us are above it. None of us are above it. And if you think you are, then you shall fall because it crouches at the very door. And I have had a troubling week because of this. I I, I why did I even want to teach this? It was a ridiculous idea. But now I'm halfway in, I've got to finish. Because I did that once upon a time where I finished a chapter and didn't do the last 15 verses and I thought I could get away with it and I didn't get away with a thing (laughs) everybody's on the internet why didn't you do the last 10 verses when are you going to do that is that I was like oh really I did quite a lot (laughs) 
line upon line, precept upon, you see, because none of us are going to put up with that nonsense that we did when we were Sunday keepers where they'd give you two verses out of context and they'd never give you the rest. None of us are going to be the bobbing heads anymore, right? So my job becomes so much harder because you fact check everything. But that's good because we need to do that because we're sick of the lies, the deception and the religiosity of it all. Sick of it. Doing things in an order of religion instead of the right order which Yahweh requires from us. Am I my brother's keeper? Ten years ago in the messianic movement, to hell with my brother. No, let him burn because he's doing things in the wrong order. You filthy pagan. Now, ten years, on, I, ten years later, I realize, no, I am my brother's keeper. Where's the heart? Where's the compassion? If somebody hadn't stopped by my shop and spent some time with me, I'd still be a Sunday keeper. It's maturity and getting all of that angst out. And you most probably think, well, you've still got quite a lot of angst to get out. But that's the way I'm wired. But I'm working on it, and it is crouching at the door, many of these bad behaviors, which I choose to overcome. It's time for me to have a different approach this Passover season. It's time for us all to have a different approach. The Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement, not to slight them at all, because I don't despise my humble beginnings at Calvary Chapel or in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement. It's all being good for the good and glory of Yahuwah to now be able to help others in all stages of life. I don't despise, though it was hard being a heathen for 20-odd years, because I have compassion for the lost as well. But I would never want to go back. I must continue forward, as you all must. But we can't despise those things, but it's It's time for a different approach. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be my brother's keeper. Instead of having angst and wrath toward those who haven't woken up to the beauty of Yahweh's Torah and his feasts, his Sabbath, his Moedim, we've got to have a change of heart to our approach in sharing, in witnessing, in witnessing, in sharing. Because it's the 11th hour. There's 60 minutes to go. It's the 11th hour of opportunity. At the third hour of opportunity, they said, no, no, no. I want to stand around idle and enjoy the things of the world. At the sixth hour of opportunity, they said they wanted to stand idle more. Well, there's things I want to do. I'm still young. Lots of sinning and fun and pleasure to be had. And the ninth hour of opportunity, the same thing. I see it down at my school. I'm still young. I'm 22. There's so much to do. And at the 11th hour of opportunity, still the same heart condition. But none of us know. We are at the 11th hour of opportunity. If we don't speak up, who's going to speak? And then they'll get there and they'll be on the highway to hell. And they say, well, the brother, he never, he never shared with me that I was to be saved. He never shared that with me. And then it's on us, Right? Then it's on us. Well, he, he never told me I needed to be saved. 
He never told me I was doing things in the wrong order. It's easy, isn't it, to walk by? I have. When I first started out, I literally would try and gather people. Let's stand outside the big church on Sunday morning. And let's have big placards. And we'll get arrested. It doesn't matter. Let's go down. Nobody wanted to come. I wouldn't do that now because I've... But maybe it's time. I'm not doing that again. Learn from those mistakes. But let's not be in danger of committing murder. This Passover unleavened bread season that we're in. First John, first Yochanan 3.14, it is written, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. I don't want to argue anymore with people. I really don't. I don't need to prove what I know is true. I just live it. The days of arguing with my brother, because my brother is always going to feel that he's right and can justify his behaviors. It's not my job to change. I don't need to debate. I don't need to do that and waste my time because there are so many people that are at the 11th hour and they have the ear to hear. Why, why, why waste my time arguing with doubtful disputations? We have to go to those that have the ear. And you can tell. Can't you tell? You can tell the difference in the ruach of approach to the gospel. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal haim life in him. Cain was a believer. That's astounding to me. He believed in Yahuwah. But Abel, he was regenerated. He had been touched by the blood of, blood of sprinkling upon his heart. Cain was not. How do we know this? Because scripture is very clear. Yahushua speaks of the blood of righteous Abel, regenerated. And the writer of Hebrews testified thus. Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith Abel offered Elohim a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith he was commended as a righteous man. When Elohim spoke well of his offerings. By faith he still speaks even though he is dead. Just because a man prays to Yahuwah, just because a man even hears his prayers answered, doesn't make him regenerated. Let's be clear on that. Just because you pray to Yahuwah and you hear the voice of Yahuwah doesn't make you regenerated. Oh, you may be a believer. You can believe in Yahuwah all you want. That doesn't make you regenerated. That is just not good enough. It's not good enough. You have to be regenerated in the heart that is covered by this magnificent Passover blood. A heart not of anger, but of love for your brother. I remember back in 1990, it was right before the Gulf War. I was like 18, I think. 
ridiculous. I mean, I just would, I think back on it now. I mean, it was right before the Gulf War. I had a backpack. I'm in Israel. I'm in Tel Aviv. I was totally, I was, I believed in God. And I believed in Jesus Christ. Now, I've offended a ton of people just because I said that. But I, that's where I started. I, was, I, I grew up with the, in the Church of England. There's no separation of church and state. We, did, we had Bible study as part of our school curriculum. So I'm in Jerusalem. I totally believe in God. That was never a problem for me. And I totally believe that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. I totally believe that. But I was living my life my way. And I ended up hitchhiking from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. What a dumb thing to do if you know the lay of the land, especially in 1990. I mean, it was crazy. Here I am on the road to Jerusalem hitchhiking. I mean, I hitchhiked all over Israel, got in some crazy situations, and I got into a pretty bad situation in Jerusalem. And I remember going to the Western Wall and crying my eyes out, writing a prayer, as everyone does, on paper, stuffing it in the wall and praying. But I was unregenerated. I believed in Yahuwah. I prayed to Yahuwah. But I was like Cain, an unsaved individual. That is not good enough. And for another five years, I lived my life my way. Doing what I wanted. And it wasn't until five years later that my heart was touched by the blood of sprinkling that sings and saith better things than Abel. There are many masquerading around as believers, praying to God, but they are not regenerated. What are we to do? We have to have these communications of reality with what the power of the blood is about at Passover. Otherwise, we're not being our brother's keeper. Especially in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement, there are so many that are believers that are unregenerated, unsaved individuals, unsaved individuals that have got the long prayers, maybe even the long seat seat, all the right words, but not regenerated. We have to get rid of sin and repent now because this type of year, this season, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, these are Mikra Kodesh, these are holy rehearsals. Look what it says in Corinthians, Olive, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. We all know this verse so well. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, since you are truly are unleavened. For indeed, Moshiach, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. This is a commandment in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul about what order and what sacrifice is the right order. And the Apostle Paul does not say, go and keep Easter. He says it right here. Therefore, let us keep the feast. This is a commandment by the Apostle Paul, St. 
Paul, if you would like to call him that, that commands us, New Testament believers in Yahushua, that we are to do the righteous works of Abel. The lies of Cain will lead you to the wrong order of service. But it is clear as day. Keep the feast. And of course, it is the feast of unleavened bread. Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Easter was truly old leaven, and it just needs to be done with. Get it out of your house. Sunday keeping was truly just old leaven. With all of its excuses, just get it out of your house. Because it's the 11th hour, and we've got 60 minutes to go. That's it. Oh, but the cares of the world. Oh, I was born into this world to be successful, gorgeous. No, this is not. We were born in this world to prepare for eternity. Not to be successful, just get married, raise kids, have a great business, enjoy drinking and eating and feasting and merriment and sports. We were born into this world to prepare for eternity. And how we prepare that is the works of Abel. But the works of Cain are sure enticing. Because you can say you're a believer. You can pray to God. You can even have him talking to you. And you're doing everything in your own order. Just the way you want. And you've got all your free time, right? But it's the 11th hour. I mean, getting rid of sin and pagan tradition is so important that Yahweh dedicates seven days to it. I mean, it's that important to him. Get the leaven out. Seven days. It's that important that he's like, hey, not only will I give you a New Testament commandment through St. Paul, but I'm going to give you seven days to really work on it. So yes, I come here on Sabbath, the seventh day of the cycle of the week, and I begin to pontificate about my trials and tribulations. But I, I truly pray that you can see the message of the Passover and what I'm communicating. And this brings me to where I struggle. I think where more of us struggle than just me. Because if we can't confess our hurts, our offenses, our slights openly with one another... And sin lies at the very door, does it not? It's crouching for us because it is active. It is in pursuit. It's not stationary. It's active, man. It wants to pursue you. It wants to engage with you. It wants to get into you physically, give you some stress and restlessness and fitfulness. You won't sleep. You won't feel right. Your prayer life will be interrupted because sin is active. 
active and it engages. It's not passive. It won't leave you alone. It is crouching at the door and hurts, offenses, slights, wounds that aren't spoken about and dealt with with brethren immediately, quickly will fester and then sin lies at the very door and it will manifest in us as individuals where there is a breaking of fellowship and we begin to wander like vagabonds. I've seen it so often and that feeds into my disappointment. In individuals. I'm so disappointed in so many people. But that's only half the story. Because it's usually because I unintentionally have wounded or hurted, hurted, hurt, or slighted an individual unintentionally with my manner and the way I hold myself. I can excuse that, but I don't want to make excuses when I first... Well, it's just the way I was raised. I'm English. These Americans are so sensitive. Well, that's partly true. I mean, it never happened in England. Never happened in England. But no, that is... I have to take some responsibility too. But we need to take responsibility as a congregation. And we're breaking through the threshold to get to the promised land together. And I feel this is all part of our maturing now in the refiner's fire. Because I'd rather go through it with you now than in a trench in the tribulation. Right? Let's get through it now. Hebrews 11.4. Abel still speaks. Abel still speaks even though he's dead. How? How? Well, the world hates Yahushua followers like you. The world hates Yahushua followers like me because the righteous bear witness of it that its works are wicked. And we live in a perverse and wicked generation like there has never been before. The works of Cain were sensory. What a, sen- oh, what a sensory world. I mean, people, I mean, if you can't see it on your phone, you can't smell it, you can't touch it, you can't drink it, and you can't put it in your belly, we don't want anything to do with it, right? And we are a people that is supposed to be talking about the beyond, the eternal, the visionary, the prophetic. And people can't see, smell, touch that. And therefore, you are hated because the blood of Abel still speaks. Because the righteous, when the righteous do good, it stirs up that spirit of Cain, does it not? In the wicked, in the wicked. And when the wicked hate the righteous, then what happens is by the wickedness it manifests and the blood of Abel still speaks, does it not? How many of you have seen that in your life? You just are walking around as a believer You may have a Bible in your hand, a bumper sticker on your car, or it may be just the way you talk. And there's just this vexing. You're like, wow, that person is just so... What is... There is something going on here. Spiritually, there is just a... I mean, it's so easy in my house. You just come to my house and, you know, there's 
you know, a couple of signs on my gates about being shot if you come over. So that, that, that always kind of makes people a little weird. And then there's the guard dog signs. And then you're hit with the Ten Commandments before you even cross the threshold. I mean, it's just like, seriously, people read that Ten Commandments and I mean, you've had it, you've got it on your house. And there's like people, they want, we've done one, they're very uncomfortable about coming into the house. Because you're standing for Yahweh. It's your witness, right? Yeah, I'm telling you. We have to realize that it's not just the accused, but those who refuse to confess their sins towards their brothers and those who deny the blood atonement of the Messiah that put them in the very realm of Cain. It's written, look, Luke chapter 11, verse 50. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of righteous Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Are we dead or are we alive? Do we love or do we hate If we hate our brother or sister, we're dead and we're no longer the possessor of eternal life. And therefore, we belong together with the unsaved who refuse to obey Elohim. Who refuse to do what's right. They share the same fate as Cain. Cain lost his privilege to sup with the master. He lost his privilege to sup with the master. Passover is a time of privilege. It's a time of honor. It's a time of privilege. A time to sup with Yahuwah. For us to truly partake of it. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 23. If therefore thou art offering thy gift at the altar... And there rememberest that my brother have aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled with thy brother. And then, then you go and offer your gift. Because the presence of Yahuwah, it doesn't come easily, does it, to the sons of men. It didn't come easy to me. It doesn't come easy to the sons of men. There's so much deception I could be crying my eyes out at the western wall and think I'm okay. But it took five years of hell before I realized that the presence of Yahweh does not come easy to the sons of men. That I needed the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than able to strike my heart. Because that blood has striking power. Because you strike the lintel and the doorposts. How dreadful, how dreadful it is to fall out of communion with Yahuwah because of sin in your life. The road to hell is paved with uncleanness. Uncleanness. The road to hell is paved with uncleanness. And there are people that are praying to Yahuwah and hearing prayers and they are living unclean and they are going to hell on their computer screens, 
with their personal lives of what they're doing. And it is unclean. It's everywhere. We have got to get right. We have got to get right. Passover is to remind us that the restoration of that communion came at a price. The shedding of that perfect, perfect lamb of Yahuwah. Because when we come to this season, it should be a time of inner thinking, of pondering our lives. We shouldn't be just like, oh yeah, I'm a Passover. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't have a bagel today because it's unlit. No, that's not what this is about. I'm really looking forward to having a bagel on Wednesday. But no, that's not what this is about. Passover blood, it atones, it covers, it restores, it restores, it brings hope. It restores those broken promises, those broken friendships, those broken relationships, those broken hearts. But we must make our spiritual exodus out of sin and uncleanness. We live in an unclean world. It has never been more unclean. Never been more unclean than the world that we live in. And that is what hell is paved with. Uncleanness. Uncleanness in your houses, in your homes. Clean it up. Go home. Throw out the movies. Unregister for what you're registered at. Don't subscribe to that. Don't watch that. Don't. Do it anymore. You cannot afford to be at the 11th hour with 60 minutes to go living the way you're living. And justifying that that you're praying and that you know God. Because that's no different than Cain. You're deceiving yourselves and we are literally running out of time. And it's the uncleanness is abounding. Everywhere. We have got to make our spiritual exodus out of sin and uncleanness. And the spiritual bondage that Satan tries to put into the condition of man. Who is not saved. That thinks he's saved because he's praying to God. And even hears from God. No. There are many gods in this world and you may not be hearing from Yahuwah, the one true living Elohim because it takes a regenerated heart. But Satan masquerades around as the prince of light and manifests himself to you as the gods of the earth. It's very scary. That's why we proclaim the name of Yahuwah and his son Yahushua in this assembly because we want to be on guard. Yet a brother last week, it wasn't you, but I'm pointing at you, I don't know why, goes up and talks to a Jehovah Witness and starts to talk to them about Yahushua and the letter J that was invented in 1532. And do they want to hear? No, because they have the spirit of Cain. 
They are religious. They are not regenerated and saved individuals. Because you cannot be saved without the shedding of the precious blood that speaketh better things than Abel. And if you screw up the first chapter of the book of John, then you're really messed up, aren't you? In simplicity terms, that's really why Jehovah Witness is a big troublesome sore. Where was I? I have no idea. Help me. (laughs) What were we talking about? When I don't know where I am, I always go back to the Bible. Yahushua said, I am the door, whatever and whoever. Well, he doesn't say whatever. He says, I am the door, whoever enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and shall go out and find pasture. In Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him. That's Passover. And he will be with me. Passover is the time to open up your heart. Yahweh draws near to us on the Sabbath and his appointed times, particularly near to us at Passover. And he says, Open up the door of your heart. Accept Yahushua as your savior. And get rid of the uncleanness that your eyes have seen. That your hands have touched. And what you're doing in the private house. That nobody sees and he sees it. And he says, that's the works of Cain. The very works of the devil. Uncleanness. And an unclean mind. And an unclean spirit. And an unclean thought life. Not only does Cain deny the knowledge of his brother's whereabouts, but he also denies the responsibility. I have a responsibility to tell you the truth and offend some of you. I have a responsibility to do that. I take it very seriously, especially the latter part, offending you. (laughs) Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. I am. Yahweh is raising you up. He is raising us up today to take responsibility for our brothers. Even, yes, and this was a hard one for me, Matthew, even if they are offering a sacrifice in the wrong order, that pisses me off. Okay, I said it. Sorry, but it did for a long time. I know that's crass, and I don't usually speak crass because there could be children watching. But I'm going to tell you the truth. It did. Am I the only one? Come on. Am I? Kevin? All right, thank you. Yes, I should have used that word. Yes, I was, thank you. I was spiritually indignant. And wrathful with my brother. But I brought it into the 21st century vernacular. And I will hear about it when my wife listens to this and reviews it and comes to me and says, well, your kind of attitude was a little, little off. You need to work on that, Bevan. Pray about that. Thank you, thank you, yes. But he is raising us up even to have that love for our brothers that have not yet come into the knowledge of what the right offering is. That it's time for us to be our brother's keeper. To reach out to our brother before the tribulation comes. Because once that comes, 
that spirit of murder, that spirit of variance and violence and jealousy will abound and it will be too late. It will be too late. Because those that are without Cain, without Yahushua, excuse me, they are just like Cain. They're wandering, they're lost, they're lonely, they're despised and they're despairing. But at Passover, we can truly remember this time of year, this season, we can truly remember that Yahweh took on flesh and he gave us a way out. He gave us a way out of the way of Cain into the way of Abel, where we are now struck if we come to a regenerated life by the blood of sprinkling. And that way out requires only one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Abel. And that sacrifice is the sacrifice of your own self-will, of my own self-will. Give it up. I've got to give it up. I've got to give it up. We have got to submit to the goodness of Yahweh. Repent and receive the Savior into our hearts. That's the only way we're going to be at his Passover table in the eternal hereafter. That's the only way that we're going to be at his Passover table in the eternal hereafter. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Just do what is right. I had this very conversation with my son this week. Moshe. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And then my wife had this very same conversation with me. Matthew, if you do what is right. And then I'm like, oh my goodness. And I added it to the message. Cyclical. We've got to stop it now. Otherwise, it's going to go on to our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren, and it's going to spread like a cancer. But do you not know what is right? Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. But you have got to master it, don't we? We have got to master it. Don't end up restless. Don't end up with that vagabond ruach, that wandering like Cain, driven from congregation, from church to church, by something dark and dogged that just hounds you down, that won't allow you to have any long-term shalom and relationship with your brothers. You just bounce and bounce and bounce. Like a lion, sin is crouching, but there is something far much more waiting for us. It is that lamb sacrifice that is waiting. It truly is. We have to overcome our hurts. We have to overcome hurts in the community or it will turn to hatred, resentment, and despising. And then we won't be passed over. We won't be passed over. Abel is dead. He can't speak anymore. But there is something that's happening. The blood is speaking. It's the blood that's speaking. But what's that mean? It means there's life after death through the blood. That's the key. There's life after death through the blood. That's the only way to see this parable, if you will. So we await. 
We await underneath the blood. The blood of that new covenant. The blood of the everlasting covenant. And there, there we find our shalom. There we find our rest. But we live in a world. A world living under different rules than you and I. I'm sick of it and I know you are too. But that world, it's living under a different covenant than you and I. It's living under the covenant of death. Isaiah, turn with me and we'll finish up here. Because we have got to realize that our war is not against flesh and blood, but principalities. It is the world. And it is made a covenant with death. And you and I have made a covenant with the blood. And it is a disparity of covenants that sets man against man. And it will end in the tribulation when they will seek you and hunt you down like hunters. And we have to prepare We have to prepare, which is why we're going back into Ezekiel next week to prepare for we are at the 11th hour and we have 60 minutes to go. In all seriousness, Isaiah 28 verse 15, because ye have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell, we are at agreement When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. This looks awfully like the death cloud of the Exodus, does it not? That overflowing scourge that will come through. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. That's just what Cain was doing. Look at verse 18. And your covenant with death shall be annulled. And your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through you, then ye shall be trodden down by it. I don't usually get to say hell twice in one scripture verse. Not allowed to say that at home. Matthew 27 verse 62. Let's turn there. Now on the morrow. Oh, you know, I always like to do. I always like to break it down. Let's break down Matthew 26 before we. 27 verse 62. Because this covenant with death. It's threefold. Look at the scripture. It's threefold. Number one, it's religious. Number two, it's political. And number three, this is where FEMA comes into it. It's military. It's military. This covenant with death that the world has made. Don't think they're not living in covenant. They are. That's why there is the angst. That is why there is the wrathfulness against you, the righteous, that you feel it when there are those that have made a covenant with death, those that have made an agreement with hell, and you've made an agreement with the blood of Yahusha that speaketh better things than sprinkling than Abel. There is then this vexing. You feel it, don't you? I feel it. Because the deeper you go into your covenant with Yahusha and the deeper they go into the covenant with death and hell, then we find we are not only coming up with number one, religious. Number two, political. Number three, military might. Look at it. 
Verse 62, Matthew 27. You're going to see it in that order. Now on the morrow, which is the day after the preparation, this in context is the week we're at. This is Passover week. Now on the morrow, which is the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees, number one, they were religious that had made a covenant with death and hell, right? Number two, they were gathered together unto Pilate. That is political. He was a politician above all things, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet still alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest happily his disciples come and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last error will be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have God. The military took God over the grave, did they not? This is a threefold covenant with death, and this is what you and I are up against. You are up against the religious persecuting world that hates you making a sacrifice in the right order. Hates it. And in this time, we have to overcome our natural tendency, Matthew particularly, to fight. Because I'm a fighter, and I naturally want to fight. Especially if you come up against me with your compromised beliefs. But I have to get over that and reserve the fighting for another time. Because I'm still my brother's keeper. Now that's taking some maturity. In my 30s, I wanted to fight even more than I do now in my 40s. It's called keeping the testosterone down even though I... Anyway, this covenant with death is threefold. We see it right here. This is what we are truly, truly up against. The world makes a covenant and a contract between its religious, political, and military leaders to try and thwart the plans of Messiah back then and right now at the 11th hour. But the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel is way more powerful than the religious world. It is way more powerful than our political world and corrupt politicians. And it is way more powerful than the impending military apocalypse. And if you can't see it, what they are preparing for and how it is all escalating militarily in this country and throughout the world it is because they have made a covenant with death and with hell and they are getting deeper into it and you and I have the opportunity to get deeper and more saturated by the blood of Yahushua that speaketh better things than Abel and that's our only way out But we have got to seriously do an inventory. Are we just praying to God and hearing him like Cain? And then saying, oh yeah, I'm a believer. Cain was a believer. I was a believer all the way until I was 24. I prayed to God. I heard from him occasionally. But I don't think it was the one true living Elohim because I wasn't regenerated until I was 24. And now I know the difference because I took a stand against the uncleanness and despicable life that I was living. 
And I have never looked back. And some of you, I haven't made those commitments to get the uncleanness out of your life because the road to hell is paved with uncleanness and we live in a world that propagates it more than anything else. It's everywhere. And it's acceptable, but it's sickening. And so... Now we return next week to the scrolls of Ezekiel because we must prepare for these last 60 minutes. 60 minutes to go. And then when it's all done, I pray that we will be able to stand. And then I say, stand. Let's stand right now and close in prayer. Do we have any questions or comments? All right, let me close in prayer and then we'll take some questions. Father, prepare your Kedoshim, your saints, for these last minutes of the hour that we are in. And Abba, we know that we are victorious because of the Passover lamb. And I thank you, Father, that you have brought it, Abba, to our mind, to our recollection, to the seriousness of this hour, and that, Father, that we would truly do an inventory and that we would move from the ground of thorns to the crown of thorns, where that blood of Yahusha truly can strike the lintel of our hearts. And, Abba, we ask now, come Come fast, come quick, and prepare your servants, your saints, this day, this hour, in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Yes, if we have questions, then let's make sure that we have it microphoned audio so that people online can um, partake and participate too. Um, we have two questions. Um, number one is, I know we mentioned it last week, but could you explain in a little more detail the differences between Cain and Abel's sacrifice? Well, I think um, when you look at the text, the main thing that you see is with Cain, his was an offering that was from, its origins was from the curse, from the cursed ground. And it was an offering based upon his own works, in his own way, in his own order. And Abel's offering was from the realm of the blessing. Because we already know that at the fall back in the garden, that Yahuwah made a keporah, a covering for Adam and Eve, Adam de Hava, through the killing of an animal and the clothing with skins. So the blood was already being prepared from before the very foundations of the world. So one operated in the realm of the curse, a covenant with death and hell, and one operated in the realm of blessing, and therefore that is the origins now for us as we go forward in worship, in prayer, and approach to Yahuwah. How do we approach him? By our will, or do we sacrifice our own will and come in the way of Abel? I think succinctly than quickly, that's most probably the most condensed I could give you. We could do a whole teaching just on that question, though. So, I mean, I hope that can kind of give you an entrance into it for your own studies. Since uh, First Fruits is starting tomorrow, how do we count the Omer? Um, tomorrow is day one of the Omer, 
which will lead us to the count of 50. And I believe we may have a fabulous counting mechanism available to you that we could post online of reading the Psalms and counting the Omer through the Psalms, which is a really, really fabulous way to go through the counting of the Omer. And we find that instruction in Leviticus chapter 23, the day after the Sabbath. And we take that and interpret that now in light of our calendaration as the day after the weekly Sabbath, which would be Yom Echad, the first day of the week. Yeah? All right, over here. As you were speaking, I... I couldn't help but um, notice, is it safe to think that biblical history is prophecy that what happened to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is prophetic of what will happen to their seed in the, in the later days? Because basically, the similitudes seemed like they were the same. Yeah, I mean, again, it's that progressive revelation. When we were looking how we started the teaching was the three laws and progressive revelation. I see how with Abraham and the patriarchs, you, you see from the beginning, now you can res- the end is revealed from the beginning, as it says in the prophet, by the prophet Isaiah. So as we are the seed of Abraham, Abraham in these days, we are going to be looking back at the life of Abraham, and I think that's been a huge revelation for many people, that we're not, you know, returning to be Jews, but we're returning to be the seed of Abraham. As Galatians, Paul talks to the Galatians very clearly, and I think that's why the Malkitzedic teaching has been so liberating to true Torah, liberating from lawlessness and the way of Cain, but also liberating from that religious spectrum which can end up really deceiving you. And um, again, if we're pointed back through the blood of Messiah to Abraham and Abraham points us to Messiah, we're all going to end up in the same place, covered by that blood of sprinkling. So yes, to answer your question... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, shadow pictures of the exile and redemption from beginning to end. We've got to read the book of Bereshit to understand the book of Revelation. We have to understand Genesis to understand Revelation. And I think Ezekiel and the 13 scrolls is a huge part of this last 60 minutes that we have, in my opinion, humbly. Yes. No? Oh, you're just holding the mic. He's all right. Are right, you not going to do anything with it? Oh, a follow-up. He wants a follow-up. All right, over here. Speaking pastorally, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. If what you say is true, and I believe it, that many people are walking around thinking they're Christians and not. It's the new covenant that says the Spirit of God will do for us what needs to be done. And the Spirit of God has to be the one that brings the regeneration of the individual. And I thank you. Keep preaching it, but it will cost you. 
Yeah, I, I, it is the spirit, the Ruach. But I think for me personally, what I've learned is that I have got to turn back to my brother instead of turning away. And in my piety, I've turned, I had for a long period turned just toward Yahweh and neglecting. But now there's almost a forcing back to, to that. Does that make sense? Uh, it was very, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's humbling, it really is. You have to go back and make amends. That's okay. That's what we're supposed to do. Right? Amen. So, yeah. so, so oh. speaking evangelically, would you say first mention political, religious, Babel today? You see the similitude running throughout history in opposition to the kingdom of Yahweh. Yeah, in opposition to the blood. From the very because that whole community of Babel was birthed from Cain through the vagabond and going into that exile, going from that exile, and again we see that um, military, political, and religious right there at that first tower, and now we live in an age of towers, don't we? High towers abound everywhere, everywhere, and it comes fast and furious. Sometimes without even catching it. It's so invasive. Never has uncleanness. Oh, it can be so invasive. You used to have to go out, seek it, and search it. But now it can invade even the pious because you get some malware on your computer or something like that. So you have to be truly, truly guarded um, in every area of your life. Because uncleanness is invasive and it is accepted. And that is the degradation of the whole house that is about to come tumbling down, just as we see in Ezekiel and Jerusalem. I mean, when you're punching through the wall and they're doing the things they're doing, I think as we start to punch through the wall in our political spectrum, we're seeing more and more of this perversity in our leaders that they all accept, but we don't accept. So, yes, close. Last question. Uh, question regarding, um, we had this seven days of unleavened bread, and then now we're moving in, into seven weeks. Uh, is there a tie-in in that preparation that leads us up to Shavuot, that, that seven days and now seven weeks? Yeah, I did a, a teaching several years ago, counting from um, from faith to kingdom, and it's really a, mat- a maturity. It's walking that um, the feast of first fruits is the barley harvest, and as we now go and start to make the count to Shavuot, which was the wheat harvest, barley is traditionally was used as animal fodder, whereas wheat was used for human fodder consumption. So you're really moving from... This is a count now. So the seven days of unleavened bread, I find, and I think we can, we'd all agree, is where Yahweh now manifests to you through this feast what it is that you need to work on. I've shared 
personally what I need to work on with you in the hopes that it will prick in you what you need to work on. And it's going to be different. It could be the same. But it's been manifest very clearly in my life these past days of unleavened bread. Now I have the opportunity as I count from faith to kingdom, from the carnal man that eats the animal fodder to turn from a carnal nature. And now, through 50 days of implementation, I have the opportunity to turn what Yahweh has brought into my life to prepare myself to consume the bread that is going to be honed down and offered at the next feast. And that is to get me out from the carnal animal nature and bring me into that kingdom nature with what he's shown me during the seven days. So the question you all have to ask and online is, what has Yahweh shown you that you need to deal with during these seven days? Because tomorrow is the 12th hour when it comes to your opportunity. You need to implement it. So if, if you haven't heard from Yahweh by the dawning of the day tomorrow... That's really the time that you should have heard. Tonight is the night to dig deep, search, and go, what is it that is a problem in my life? And if you say nothing, then you could easily be walking in the way of Cain.